just worship God together today, real life. Thank you, We love you, Jesus. You are so faithful in our lives. God, you never stop being faithful. You never give up, God. And we just thank you, God, for your grace, your power, your work in each of our lives. God, we just thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, God. Your mercy is new every morning, never ends, God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you, God, that you are here in our midst. And we thank you, God, that we can trust, God, your goodness as you're working and moving, shaping us, God, for your purposes. We just welcome you here today, God. We thank you. Thank you so much for your presence, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's good to see you today, 1130. Why don't you grab your seat today? I am so thankful. That God got you here, and I'm thankful that we get to spend these few minutes together and believe that God has a reason for each of us to be here. My name is Richie, our lead pastor, and uh, I just get so, so excited about these moments together, knowing that God wants to speak and move and lead and change and work. No matter where you've been, where you've come from, what's happening in your life, God wants to meet you in this time here today and unify our hearts and uh, help us to become his people. And so, as a church... Uh, we are excited that you're here. Uh, personally, I'm excited that you're here. And, and I'm really, really thankful that we get to be on a mission together to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. That's, that's why we gather, is to be equipped for that mission, to be empowered for it. Uh, that's why, as a church, uh, through these few weeks here in November, uh, we are just focusing our hearts on the presence of God, wanting this to be a place, every gathering, every service, every connect group, every kid's room, every moment that we are together to be a place where God's power is moving. People are being changed. I believe this with all my heart, that just one moment in the presence of God could change you forever. One moment, and he could, he could break an addiction. In one moment, he can heal a, a thousand wounds from all of your past and all of your, your brokenness. God can make such an impact in just one moment in his presence. No human strategy can compare with the presence of God. And so we're learning together. God, how do we be a people of your presence? How do we um, be where, where, where you can move powerfully in our midst? We don't want to just have a shell and kind of an empty, hollow religion, God. God, we want to have one that's filled with your spirit, with your power, with your goodness, with your grace. And so that's, that's where we're at, and that's what we're learning together today. And so uh, I hope you're, you're ready, hungry, excited, uh, and uh, want to hear from God. So would you open your Bible uh, to Luke chapter 3 with me? It's in the New Testament. Uh, Luke is one of the gospel writers, uh, tells the story of Jesus' life, ministry, and teaching. And chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. Uh, I'm excited. Next week, we are going to give a one-time offering. It's over and above our uh, normal tithes and offerings. It's a chance for us to say, hey, God, this year, we believe you're calling us to some very specific things. We're calling it the shelter, that God wants his church to be a place of shelter where, where people can come from wherever they've got going on, whatever is happening in their life, and find uh, a place here where they can see Jesus, find Jesus, experience Jesus. Uh, we sense God telling us to invest more in our recovery ministry, to build a food room, to meet practical needs of people here at 
at Real Life to continue to grow our benevolence ministry that helps uh, pay utility bills and rent. I know the economy, all of that. Um, we believe in God's calling us to take a major step forward there as well as invest in the future of One Heart where we love and bless and serve kids in our city. In fact, we're out there in the lobby this week um, helping sign you up and bring donations in for One Heart Thanksgiving. We're providing meals for 150 families. Close to 500 kids are going to get blessed at Thanksgiving through you. And so uh, we've already seen, I think, close to $5,000 come in to help cover uh, those meals. And we are so excited to see how God might have you be a part, maybe serving on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. would be so much fun. That shelter offering next week, you've been praying about it. These are ways for us as a church just to go, God, we want to see you move here powerfully and, and, and practically meet needs through us as a people. And so come ready next week for that, that offering. Uh, get out there in the lobby to talk about Thanksgiving with those guys. Uh, really, really excited about all of that. Last week we started this conversation about the presence of God with just a simple overview of what's, what is his presence. Like there's this omnipresence, like God is everywhere all the time, moving. Leading, creating, shaping. But then there's these moments, the manifest presence of God. He makes himself known in a real, tangible, powerful way in people's lives. Us as a people are trying to understand how do we be a part of that? Not just kind of hoping God shows up and moves around here, but actually like what, what's our part in that and what, what can I do to help God, you move here in a powerful way, and maybe in my school, in my personal moments with you on a daily basis, in my family, my neighborhood, my workplace. God, would your presence be there moving through me, not just around me and kind of know about you, God, but actually in this life and through this life and in this church and through this church that, that, that this city could actually be changed because God is moving in you and through you and his power, his presence is real in your life. That's really the ache, the cry of our heart, God. And today I want to talk about preparation because uh, Henry Blackaby once said that preparation precedes the presence of God. You prepare for lots of important things in your life, for meetings, for tests, right? For tests, you prepare. Uh, you study, right? You, you, you brush your teeth in the morning, hopefully. You do these things that help you get ready for the important things in your life. Preparation is a normal part of who we are, and we understand that if it's important, I better be prepared. And I think the same is true with the presence of God. If, if we value, want, desire, long for, hunger for the presence of God, we have work, responsibility to prepare our, our lives, our environments. You, you, you know that these guys don't just show up on a Sunday and hope the music goes good, right? These guys are preparing for weeks on end. Our, our kids' leaders in our classrooms, they don't just show up and wing it and hope it's awesome. No, they're preparing those lessons for those kids. The crafts are being prepared weeks in advance. The, the rooms are being cleaned. The, the, the connect group that you meet at, the host is actually vacuuming their house and getting coffee ready. There is preparations being made. And I think this preparation is something that could be easy to overlook when it comes to you and I actually stewarding, understanding, experiencing the presence and the power of God. What are you doing to prepare your life, your heart, for the presence of God? Saturday nights for me are very sacred because um, I preach on Sundays. Preaching on Sundays doesn't just happen on Sundays. For weeks in advance, I'm prepping these, the content of these sermons uh, and, and I'm very passionate about that process and that routine and all of that, but 
Saturday night is special because it's not about the content. Saturday night, it's me trying to understand, discern, get in touch with the heart of God. And just praying and going over my sermon again and again, just trying to just hear from God, what is your heart? Because it could be the right content, but if it doesn't have God's heart, it could totally miss the opportunity of what God wants to do here in these moments together. And so for my family knows this, you know, after... Um, the Huskies beat the Oregon Ducks last night. It's like time, you know, for the, the presence of God to prepare. And uh, just, sorry, uh, Grayson's from Oregon. I'm from Seattle. We just got it, okay? It's, uh, we, we, uh, we take, I take those, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes on Saturday nights and just spend time praying. Thinking about today, thinking about who's gonna be in the room, asking God for his heart, his passion, his desire for this moment, that I wouldn't just have my agenda, but that I would actually be sensitive and responsive to God's presence and his leading and his prompting. Every service is different. You're different. You're different than the 10 o'clock and the 8.30, and every one of you has a story and a unique thing about what's going on in your life, and I can never pretend to know all of that and actually meet you where you are, but here's what I believe is by the power and the presence of God, he meets you right where you are in every one of these settings, and so there requires a preparation and a sensitivity in my heart to go, okay, God, who do you have here? What do you want to say? How do you want to say it? And I think you, you want to experience God in powerful ways. You don't want an empty, lifeless religion that is doldrum and another thing added to your to-do list. You actually want to know the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-gracious God of the universe and have him intimately working in your life and in your church. You don't want to have a dead church with dead church services, amen? You want to actually know God is here and he's speaking and moving in people's lives. Preparation precedes the presence of God. Luke chapter 3. Uh, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. I love this picture. Because Jesus is about to be God's manifest presence on earth. Like a lot of these Jews that, that are existing, living in the first century, these guys have all known that they are the people of God, the chosen ones of God. They've all been selected and understand, oh, God is going to bring his salvation to all mankind through us. And they get these promises and these covenants, and they have a lot of rituals and routines that remind them of the covenants. But for a lot of them, they had, they had lacked the intensity and the passion and the awareness of God's presence in a real way. In fact, God's voice had been silent for 400 years. And they're wondering, is God ever going to come and save? Is God ever going to restore? Is God ever going to do what God promised he would do? And what happens when you're waiting for a long time is you kind of get edgy. You get a little calloused. You get a little annoyed. You get a little frustrated. How much longer is this going to take? I can't imagine 400 years. And so God sends a forerunner, John the Baptist, to prepare the way in people's hearts, to till up the soil. Of, of these hearts and this, this circle of people to help them be ready for the arrival of God's promised Savior, Jesus, the actual presence of God walking in their midst. Look at verse 3 with me. John the Baptist went into all the country around the Jordan River preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words, of Isaiah the prophet, 
This is written 700 years before this moment. Isaiah prophesies, there will be a voice of one calling in the desert. John the Baptist was actually in the desert all around the Jordan. And he will be calling, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. This is the promise that they had been waiting for. And now there's this preparation that's actually being done. Verse 7, so John said to the crowds that were coming out to be baptized by him. So they're coming out of the city into the wilderness where John is by the Jordan River. And they're like, hey, we've heard. What's happening? Who is this? What's going on? We want to be baptized. And John welcomes them warmly. You brood of vipers. (laughs) Who, Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? He's a prophet. I'll just say this, that like somebody who operates kind of as a prophet, they are a truth teller. They are a cut through the, all the pleasantries and get to the heart of the matter. Some of you are like, oh, I know those people. They're not very nice in my life. But, but what I love about this is John is just getting to the heart. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, the wrath of God that is going to be poured out, judgment. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. His message is repentance. His baptism is repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. His audience was a Jewish people, God's chosen people, covenant given to Abraham as a sign to all of them that God is going to be using them to bring salvation to all mankind. Don't lean on your ethnicity and your religious heritage as a crutch to say, oh, I'm good with God. He's like, no, no, no. Don't lean on that. Don't pretend that you have Abraham as your father. For I tell you that out of these rocks, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. It's like, you're not that cool. (laughs) And again, he's just cutting through it. So if you hear harshness here, he's just getting their attention. Everyone who heard him, sorry, no, I'm in the wrong wrong verse here. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax, he says, is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a measuring stick. If you're not producing good fruit in your life, no matter what root you come from, what heritage you come from, the ax is right there waiting to cut down everything that's not bearing good fruit. Verse 10, what should we do then? The crowd asked. This is a simple question, but it's a powerful one. It's a picture that the message got through. These people recognized, oh no, I have not been bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. I have been leaning on my heritage. I have not been seeking God honestly, wholeheartedly. I have not been desiring God's presence in a real way. I have not been preparing the soil of my heart and my soul for God to move and work in me and through me. I've just been lackadaisically leaning on crutches and vices and sins and different things, and I've allowed my tree to dry up, and it's not actually bearing good fruit. What should I do? 
This is a question that comes from a humble heart or repentant heart, a heart that recognizes I'm, I'm sinning and I'm struggling and I'm disconnected from God and God, I, I need you. I, I need you to be my rescue, my savior, my healer, my, my freedom, my hope. God, I need you. This is an honest question. And I think that this is a question that God wants us to be asking all the time. See, oftentimes we think of repentance. If you're going, how do I prepare the way my heart? It's repentance. Repentance often gets viewed as this thing that I got caught, oh no, I'm so sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance is a perpetual, constant turning from sin, shame, guilt, condemnation, anything idolatry that would keep you from the work of God, the will of God, the presence of God. Usually it's turning from ourselves and self-centered living, turning to God wholeheartedly. That's repentance. It's actively always turning to God, turning away from things that have entangled our hearts and our minds and our lives and and turning to God with a passion and an urgency. What should I do, God? What do you want to change? What do you want to move? What priority do you want to adjust? What attitude needs to go? What words need to cease in my life? What, What things do you need to eradicate? What values need to change? God, what do you want to do with this life? That's a repentant heart. And you could see after years of not hearing from God how people got calloused, they got hardened. You, you experience bitterness in your life because of hurt that people have done to you. You experience fear because of there's this anxiety about the future for you and your family or your kids. You experience all kinds of things in your life. Maybe it's gross sin that just continues to perpetuate itself in your life. And these things harden our hearts to the presence of God. So repentance is necessary for these hearts to be softened. Acts chapter 2, the same question, what should we do, comes to the surface. Because Peter just finished preaching the first sermon of the church and he has this eloquent way of just walking through all of Israel's history. And look, God brought Jesus here to earth and God made him both Lord and Christ. And he finishes with the zinger, and you killed him. We didn't kill him. It was the religious leaders. It was, you could think of how easy it would be to get defensive at a sermon like this. No, it wasn't us. It was those guys, those, those Pharisees and those leaders. And, and, and Peter just cuts straight to the heart of it again, just like John the Baptist. No, it was actually you. It was your unrepentant heart. It was your unwillingness to receive him as Lord and Savior of your life. It was your unwillingness to submit to him and, and write him off as a heretic and, and, and try to minimize God's presence in your life. You killed him. And instead of defending and resisting, they go, well, what should we do? The Bible says in, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. I love that picture. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, the same message John had, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What should we do? See, this is a repentant question, a humble question. I often coach our staff team and other leaders when they're around somebody that's they want to learn from. Stop talking and start asking questions. And I love this question. Hey, if you were me, what would you do if, if, if you were in this spot that I'm in? It's you just making a decision like, hey, this person might have some 
some, in, some info or some wisdom that they could pour into my life. And it just shows a level of humility that I don't know everything and I'm not sure how to get there from here. What, what should I do? I need help. I need wisdom. I need insight. God, I, I need help in this life of mine. And I, I think that this is a posture that prepares your heart for God to move in you, through you, and other people's lives. A prepared heart is a repentant heart. So when I think about this, and we're talking about this today, I just want to focus on this for a few minutes and go, okay, what does it look like to have this soft, repentant heart all the time? To, to wake up on a Sunday morning or go to sleep on a Saturday night and go, hey, we got, we got church tomorrow. What, what does it look like to prepare my heart for that day? Or I got connect group tonight. I want to God, I want to prepare my heart, or I'm going to serve at kids, or I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to pick up this phone call from this client of mine today. Like, Lord, how do you, I want to prepare my heart for those moments. As I walk into class this week, or as I get, get, go on this date with my wife tonight, Lord, I, I want to prepare my heart for you and your presence to be here and to move through me. It's very, very practical the presence of God. It's, it's very practical. It's not just this distant, ecstatic experience all the time. It is sometimes so tangible that God is going to give you the grace in a moment of tension in your marriage just to smile and love and forgive and, and to overlook maybe an offense or he's gonna give you a chance to not, you know, just get wrapped up in all the gossip that's always going on at work. It's God's grace and his presence to empower you in those moments. So how do we be prepared? I think the heart is really important in preparation. Hebrews chapter 12 kind of paints a picture of a heart posture. If you're going, how do I be prepared? How do I have a repentant heart? Verse 28 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the kingdom of God, since we're receiving that kingdom, let us be thankful, amen? We're not a part of, a, of a, an economy that's dictating our life and our priorities, we're not a part of a, of, of a culture that is, uh, dra- we're a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. So let us be thankful. That's a, that's a pretty amazing heart posture, right? A gratitude that springs up in our hearts that says, oh man, God, you've done so much. You, you, you've sent your son to die on the cross so that I could be a part of your kingdom, so that I could be free from my sin and be right with the king and that I could be a part of something life-changing and eternal. That's not shaken and temporary like this life. Be thankful, he says, right? And, and, and man, this just springs up in our hearts when we recognize that this kingdom cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably. It tells us that there's ways to not worship God that are unacceptable, and there's ways that are acceptable. What is acceptable worship? With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Think of this. The, the very nature of God is fire. What does fire do? burn stuff, right? Just think of this. Anything that's not fireproof will not endure the fire. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 that he's building a building. In fact, he calls the church the building. And you, in fact, are building, he says, 
on a foundation. It's not a new foundation. It's the same foundation that's already been preached and established as Jesus Christ. But you're all building, he says, with, with items. He said either you're building with gold, silver, and precious stones, or many of you are building with wood, hay, and straw. But at the end, fire is going to test this building of yours. And some of you will, will have been building a life that's built with these, these fireproof things, you know, gold, silver, and precious stones, things that will endure and last for all of eternity. But many of you have been building with very temporary things like wood, hay, and straw, and it's going to get burned up when you enter into the presence of God. And he says, you'll make it into heaven, but only as one that is escaping through the flames. Many of our lives, this is how we are living. We are not preparing and doing the work of precious metal and stone in our life. We are doing flimsy work in our lives that is leading to a life that is kind of frivolous, not full of reverence and awe. A life that is just kind of corrupted by ease, comfort, things that make me feel good. The writer of Hebrews is like, hey, you need to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. When you enter into his presence, there is a reverence about your heart, your mind, your life. Think of when you revere somebody in this In this culture, you're going to meet a celebrity. You're going to meet the president. You're going to meet somebody you respect deeply. You pull it together, don't you? You shine the shoes. You get the outfit. You you think of what you're going to say, the questions you're going to ask. You're, right? You kind of, many times, when you think of entering into the presence of God, the consuming fire that our God is, we lack reverence. We take it lightly and frivolously that we get to enter into the presence of God. We're not doing work in our own souls and hearts to prepare for his presence. We lack this reverence. We lack awe. I think of reverence as this awareness that you are just blessed to be in his presence. Wow, God. I don't deserve to be in your presence. My sin separates me from you, but by your grace, by your mercy, by your love, by the sacrifice of your son, you would allow me to walk into your presence. And God, I don't deserve to be here, but you're allowing me to be here. You can imagine the posture of your body mimicking the posture of your heart, right? You seem to get lower and lower and lower. Oh God, thank you. This is reverence. Ah, just being struck by how inadequate and how unworthy I am to even be in your presence, but so full of gratitude, God, that you would allow me to be a part of this kingdom that is unshakable. God, thank you. This is the posture of a repentant heart. This is the the sense of awe and wonder and God's goodness and gratitude that just fills a repentant heart. God, I don't deserve to be near you, but you would forgive me again and again and again. Thank you, God. 
I, I, don't, I don't deserve an ounce of your presence, but God, you choose me, you call me, you decided long ago that you were gonna love me and save me and, and, and every single one of us, God, that you would actually die for us while we were still sinners, God, you are so good. I am so grateful, I am so in awe of you. I am so overwhelmed by worship, God. There is nothing I could do to ever pay you back, make it right, fill it up, God. It is only by your grace and your mercy that I am even allowed to be here in your presence. God, thank you, God. Let's worship you, God. Worship you, God. This is the posture of a repentant heart. And I'd say the practicality is really simple. Psalm 139, David prays this prayer, search me, God. Not wait to get caught and get called out and get John the Baptist smacking you around, right? God, search me. Know me. Know my thoughts. Test, test me. Know my anxious thoughts, God. Know my heart. See if there's anything offensive inside this life, God. Change it, shape it, move it, eradicate it, heal it, transform it, God. This life is yours. Here's the problem. Is honestly often we are just waiting on God to kind of like call us out and drag us away from the life that we've been living. And, and a repentant heart is actively seeking, no, God, I don't, I don't want to wait for you. I'm coming to you. I want to I walk in the light as you are in the light. Any darkness, God, expose it, heal it, change it, move it out of this life. This is the heart of like, God, God, search me. And so much. We miss the presence of God because we are holding back from God. Going, God, don't make me change. Don't make me do anything difficult in this life. Don't make me repent of sin. Don't make me be uncomfortable. Our self-gratifying desires are keeping us from the presence of God. And we've glorified it. We've been arrogant about it. We've boasted in it even. David just prays a simple prayer. God, search me. Know my heart. Test every anxious thought. God, if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you, God, get it out. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your way, with your attitude, with your heart, with your eyes, with your passion, with your desires, God. Not my own, I lay mine down, God. I lay my desires down, I lay my priorities down, my attitude, God, I lay it down. This life is yours. This heart is yours, this mind is yours, this this attitude is yours. These priorities are yours. God, what do you want with this life? Where do you want me to go with this life? How would you have me serve with this life? How would you have me give with this life? Lord, this life is yours. It's not mine. You bought it with the price of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and I will give you everything you ask for, God. Whatever you ask, God, it's yours. Forgive me, God, for being so self-seeking, comfort-driven, 